Welcome to Notes on a Continent. I am your host, Enyola Harrison, and today I'm very happy to have on the podcast with us Dr. Rashida Gusto, Chair and Associate Professor of Entrepreneurship Department at IE, to discuss her award-winning case study on the social enterprise Mosabi. So Rashida's research focuses on social and women entrepreneurship. Her work has been published in leading international journals, such as the Journal of Business Venturing, Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice and Small Business Economics, as well as in several books and book chapters. Um, she comes with a wealth and knowledge of experience. So we're very excited to, to have her on here. And um, just in terms of more information about Musabi, this case study explores the social enterprises HRM, scaling and impact measurement strategies. And it also analyzes potential tensions that correspond to each of these strategies and assesses its sustainability. Musabi, this case study recently won the EFMD case writing competition in the responsible business category. And uh, Rashida, really welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on here. I'm really looking forward to discussing and learning more about this case. Thank you, Anyola. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you also to the IE Africa Center for, for showcasing this case. Uh, I really think that the work that you guys are doing is very important. Uh, Africa is really spreadheading a lot of innovation and social innovation. and we need to talk more about these cases and what and what we can learn from them because uh, there are a lot of interesting learnings that can be extracted from Africa's experience. So thank you for having me. Great, thank you so much. So before we dive into the research and the case study, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey? So how did you end up focusing your research on social entrepreneurship and women in entrepreneurship as well? Okay, yes. So uh, it's a little bit funny because when I started uh, doing research on, on female entrepreneurship and, and social entrepreneurs, uh, it was really these topics were marginal topics within the entrepreneurship uh, domain uh, in terms of research and also in terms of uh, teaching. So uh, my friends uh, would uh, joke uh, calling me the specialist of lost causes, <laughs> lost causes being social and, and female entrepreneurship, right? Uh, and of course, it was a little bit of a joke, but it, it kind of reflected, reflected a little bit uh, this view uh, uh, that social and female entrepreneurs are not mainstream type of entrepreneurs and as such do not deserve to be studied or do they deserve attention, especially from people that want to have a very successful career in academia. And uh, there, I would love to say that I was a visionary that was seeing something that people didn't say. But uh, the reality is that I, it was written into my uh, origins. Uh, we talk about path dependency in, 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 in business. And I think there was a little bit of path dependency in my, in my case too, because I was, um, so my father is from Dominican Republic. So coming from a de developing country, but also my mother from an African country, Tunisia developing country too. Both were very much engaged uh, in, in, in gender equality and, and, and in generally in, in human rights uh, since I was a kid. So that was something that I was uh, that I grew up with and these were the kind of conversation that we would have at home. And, and, and the moment I started being interested in, in entrepreneurship and innovation, uh, and I started reading the examples, the cases, the teaching the frameworks related to entrepreneurship. I was always saying, hmm, this is really very much 
uh, designed with uh, Western countries, white men kind of norm uh, as, as, as really the, the, uh, the essence of, of, of these frameworks. And, and I always wondered whether it would apply really to, to other kind of uh, populations that, that really are as important as, as this profile of Western white men. And, and I started my thesis on, on female entrepreneurs because that was this um, very prevailing, uh, they call it hypothesis, but assumption that female uh, women as entrepreneurs underperform in business. So my thesis was actually challenging this female underperformance hypothesis, especially when it comes to uh, a failure. And what I discovered is that they might be closing more often businesses, but they actually failed less. They closed more healthy, financially healthy businesses because they had a holistic view uh, in terms of their life and their work on what businesses, on the role that business had in their life. And sometimes they would simply sell a business that is working very well because they wanted to have more balance in their life or they needed to take care of a family member or simply because the tensions that very often happen within entrepreneurial teams uh, were something that made them consider pursuing the financial sustainability of the business not worth. So this is how I came into this, uh, these two interesting topics, which, uh, which uh, the good thing is that now they're becoming much more popular and mainstream. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's what I was going to say. I was like, it's it's like you saw a crystal ball, right? Because this is what we're this is what we're exploring. This is what we're talking about. And I find it quite interesting what you said about how you found out that you know women entrepreneurs were. It, it, it isn't that they were failing at their business, but that they were actually closing. They were more successful, but chose make the made the decision to close um, healthy businesses. So that's quite interesting. And. You know, this, you know, I think moves me a little bit, you know, a bit of a segue to my next question, which is around, you know, there are all these perceptions, right, um, about women in entrepreneurship and even about, you know, businesses um, across and organizations across Africa. And I think that having more research like yours that are focusing and maybe telling more nuanced, you know, um, you know, stories or even coming with a more uh, nuanced view and lens, you know, to, to, to understand these businesses, I think it's quite crucial. So for us, for example, at the center, we're extremely excited to have more and more case studies that are focused on businesses and organizations, you know, across the continent. Uh, do you see an upward trend um, in this area? And, um, you know, the second question, a follow-up question to that is, what do you think are some of the constraints in producing high-quality case studies that present more nuanced views about businesses and entrepreneurship in Africa? Uh, yes, I think there is an upper trend. In, in, in pure, when I say pure, in, in, in fundamental academic research, we see more and more call for, from very well-known scholars to really uh, focus on, on Africa as a, an interesting research setting uh, and, and really... Uh, try to see whether existing theoretical frameworks work in the settings and whether uh, these settings also settings like Africa could not be uh, the uh, the origin of new theories and frameworks that explain better some things that we we previously did not understand as well. Uh, so I see that trend, I see that call. What has been constraining and still constrains a little bit uh, researchers from from 
from doing so is first the uh, uh, the fact that most uh, top journals and top academic outlets are uh, mainly uh, Anglo-Saxon and especially US-centric, uh, which means that many of the people that are authoring these, these uh, researchers are very often also from the US. Uh, what, what I'm seeing, I'm part of the executive division of the Academy of Management, of the Entrepreneurship Division of the Executive Committee, sorry, of the Entrepreneurship Division of the Academy of Management uh, Association, which is uh, the most important association uh, in, of management scholars. And what we're seeing is that in our division, in the Entrepreneurship Division, there is a huge growth in, in scholars that are part of our membership and that growth is coming mainly from developing countries, including African countries. Uh, and uh, that allows for more diversity in, in, in the authors that are publishing these top journals, top outlets. So they are able, they're potentially able to bring news, new insights and also bring data because the, one of the difficulties, even for those who are interested, is access to data. Um, we know that very often uh, uh, we do have a lot of interesting cases to study in African countries, but very often these cases are not available in publicly available or, or, or well-structured databases. So uh, you really need to be uh, embedded into local networks to have access to this information, to be able to collect the data and, and create a systematic data set that allows you to, to really uh, at least to run uh, interesting quantitative studies. And the same goes for qualitative studies. You really need to have privileged access to these uh, entrepreneurs uh, uh, in Africa. So these things are changing because of the inclusion of new type of scholars, uh, but it will take a little bit of time in that sense. Um, I think that's the main barrier. So the, the initial barrier was more a perception that uh, these were kind of marginal settings uh, or topics like social entrepreneurship, but now I think it's more access to data. And, and probably uh, one thing that could help also is to have uh, success cases or even tailored ones, but, but cases of entrepreneurs being more prominent in the media coming from African countries, right? I think that is also some invisibility. We talk a lot about the invisibility of women entrepreneurs, there might be there. There was a little bit of that invisibility also uh, affecting African entrepreneurs. I think this is less and less the case, thanks among other things to centers like IE Africa Center, and also the media are more eager to to showcase interesting cases that that before were seen as a little bit marginal. So I see this starting to change, and I think it will it will keep on changing more and more. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree with you on, you know, on everything that you have said and particularly the access to data. I think that is a that's a massive challenge that, you know, the continent faces. And hopefully as, you know, with the advent of digitization as well, you know, and, you know, the governments and businesses, organizations are starting to, you know, completely digitalize. Um, hopefully that should also you know, um, go a long way to making that data more accessible, right? We're, we're, we're moving to this, um, this age of, um, of, of digitalization. And I think I'm hopeful that, you know, COVID as well, you know, has, um, you know, that has 
helped, you know, in terms of the shift, the pandemic, you know, everybody's shifting uh, online. So that's definitely, I think, quite, uh, quite interesting. The other interesting point that you made was around the invisibility, right? And I just wanted to touch a bit on that because it is true that the media does have, it's interesting to see the, the role that the media as well plays, you know, even in the, even in terms of research, because we think about it just in general, you know, perceptions, but also in terms of the research in research opportunities, in, 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 you know, in researchers choosing to focus on these areas, um, not being able to see that there are indeed success stories across the continent. So this, I think, is also quite, you know, quite true and quite important as well. So just to talk a bit more about Musabi, how did you come to work on this case study in the first place, you know, and, and what were the objectives, what were your research objectives? Okay, so, uh, well, actually, it was a little bit by chance in the sense that uh, I, I generally, in, in my MBA classes, what I often do is, uh, instead of giving my students, students uh, a standardized exam about social enterprises, I give them the opportunity to, to bring, to, to shape a little bit their exam. And, and part of what uh, the options that they have uh, beyond creating their own a business plan for a social enterprise is to write a case on an existing social enterprise. So uh, I had a group of, of, of students that actually all women students that uh, knew this company, Mosabi, and, and worked on a case, wrote a short case on, on it. And, and I think they did. And, and I had found that they did a, a great job in, in analyzing this very fascinating case. Uh, so I, I offered them to, to go a little bit deeper and, and take that case beyond and make of it actually a teaching case beyond just, you know, an academic exercise. And uh, what we liked about it was uh, first it was bringing an innovative solution to a very uh, uh, prevailing problem, which is really, at least in developing countries, which is the financial exclusion of, of small business owners. And, and the innovation was that they were not only uh, trying to educate these uh, the small um, uh, shop owners into uh, giving them financial and management skills to improve the sustainability of their organization. But at the same time, they created this multi-sided platform where they also would help uh, banks and, and other type of financial service providers who might, were interested in, in, in providing loans to these uh, small entrepreneurs, but did not have all the information to be able to assess the risk uh, of these entrepreneurs and had the perceived uh, perception that they, they're risking uh, lending to, to poor people uh, or people at the base of the pyramid was too risky. So they, they kind of created a platform where they would only uh, help uh, upskill small entrepreneurs in developing countries, mainly in Africa in this case, but uh, also uh, use that as data to provide uh, information to banks to, to, to give them loans if they were really seen as, as, uh, as, as uh, entrepreneurs with potential. And um, so, so that was a little bit the initial starting point for, for our interest in, in, in Mosabi specifically. Great. And so just in terms of the, the process, right, around writing this case study, how did that evolve and how does that work? Just to get into a bit the nuts and bolts. So is this something that you do, you know, just 
completely in tandem with the business organization what how does that how does that work it depends it depends very much on the relationship that you have with the uh, with the organization and also on how much information uh, is there available uh, outside the organization so like in public press or or any report in this case we were talking about a startup that was uh, really at the initial stages so we really had to have have this deep contact with them and we were lucky enough to have it among other things because Mosabi, we had chosen Mosabi, my students had cho- chosen Mosabi uh, to be part of a, an impact investing competition where they would present Mosabi as a potential recipient of, of funds to, 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 to kickstart its growth. So really we had very uh, deep insider view on it. And, um, but what is interesting about our process is that we actually shifted, shifted a little bit the, uh, the, the, uh, pres- the perspective of the case because initially uh, we were thinking about a typical startup case about identifying problems, needs, and then the type of solution and, to, and, and the product mar- market fit. Of, of that organization. But uh, as we got uh, interested in the company, uh, and at that very time we were starting to study, what happened is that two members, two out of five of the uh, management team uh, decided to leave the company and that was a little bit unexpected. And uh, nowadays Mosabi really has a stable staff and growing staff, but at the time it was really a big uh, problem for for like it would have been for any startup by the case, and and it, it and its survival was was um, was something that uh, you know we were wondering whether it will affect it or not. So uh, that made us think about the fact that uh, it might be even more difficult for this startup to 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 replace these two management uh, team members because it was a social enterprise and and really trying to seamlessly integrate uh, this hybrid culture and values uh, and and bring people that that are aligned with these with these values is not as 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 easy as people might suspect so we said it's interesting that there is actually very little um teaching on this subject there is little knowledge on how how you go about uh, attracting this kind of talent, retaining it or training it if, if it doesn't uh, exist. And we realized that there were no ready-to-wear staffing models for social enterprise. So we kind of pivoted a little bit the topic based on that. That's really, really interesting. So what has been the reception and feedback to the study? So first of all, congratulations <laughs> on <you>. the award. <laughs> That's Thank really you. amazing. So tell us tell us a bit more. What has been the reception and feedback? We're, we're, thank you very much. We're very excited about the FMD uh, award because uh, especially that category, which is responsible business, uh, because this is, uh, as I told you, my passion. It was also the passion of my students, which is why they, they actually had signed up to my social entrepreneurship elective. And, and we really think that this is where most businesses should, should be going in the future. So, um, so yeah, um, I think it was very well received, at least from from the jury members that were uh, looking at hundreds and hundreds of cases. And and the FMG is a very well known organization that a lot of people submit cases to. Uh, and also in terms of my students, at least I've been teaching this case a few times already. 
what I see uh, is that they are very excited by by the the, the enterprise. It's a very innovative one. Uh, they've they themselves Mosabi itself has received a lot of uh, prizes, won a lot of business plan competitions, and 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 it's growing. And and I guess that for many of my MBA students, it's kind of the play the kind of startup they would like to work for in the future. So in that sense, it was very much well received. Uh, what is interesting and was a little bit challenging for me is that at least for those students that sign up to my elective, to my social entrepreneurship elective, it's hard sometimes for them to realize that not everybody is yet as excited about making a social impact or, or making an impact through business as, as they are. So I still think that, I do think that this will be the default type of businesses in the future, but we're not that yet there. And those who are, who do believe in, in, in the importance of, of making a social impact or doing well while doing good are very vocal, uh, but they, they might not realize they're still relative, relatively speaking a minority in the business world. So uh, when we start talking about, okay, what should this company do now that they have two members leaving? Uh, and they say, well, we just recruit other people that are interested in social enterprise. And, and I start telling them, well, look around you in the MBA. How many of you have a background that is both social and business oriented? How, how many of you have an experience volunteering or working for an NGO or working the, in a social enterprise and also businesses in finance or management or operations, what have you? And they start looking around and they're not as common. So uh, the good news is that the people that the, the, those who have this mixed profile or hybrid profile are very much demanded nowadays because they are not as numerous. Uh, but but yeah, it's um, but we're trying to working all together to to make that more, as I said, more of uh, as a, a default type of MBA student. But it's still it's still something that is emerging, to be honest. That's really that's really really fantastic. And you know, as you know, at the center, we're passionate about social entrepreneurship. You know, we're passionate about you know doing good um, while doing business. So this is, this is, we're really great, um, really excited to hear, you know, um, the advances um, in this, in this case, and just generally in the field of, of social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you so much uh, for your time. Congratulations once again for the, you know, for this case study. We hope um, that we, you know, begin to get more and more of these types of case studies, um, you know, about organizations across the continent coming out of, uh, coming out of IE, coming out of the entrepreneurship department. So yeah, thank you sure. so much for your time. Thank you, Nyola, for having me and have a great day. Thank Bye. you. <laughs>